welcome to the Newtonian News. For lack of a better name, we're going to be calling it the Newtonian News until we get a better name. And maybe one of you listeners have a suggestion. Please send us one if you do feel that this type of podcast deserves a better name or a different name. And for now, the Newtonian News is happy to be able to interview a very interesting fellow by the name of Hans Gallacher. And he's from Switzerland, so he'll be joining us tonight to discuss a little bit about what he's been doing in China, and in Beijing in particular, and as well as some of the outlying cities, and uh, why he came to China. More so, uh, a bit about what his goals are, and how he's involved in blockchain, and Newton in particular. Okay, so um, without further ado, here's Hans. Hello, Hans. Yeah. How are you doing? I should say, in... Uh, Swiss is it is it's pretty much like German, right? Yeah, it's okay. like hello. Sprechen Sie? We say hello, but uh, hello works too. Okay, guten Nacht. No, no, that's goodbye. <laughs> guten, guten. Okay. Well, anyway, hello, hello is pretty universal. Okay, but yeah, um, glad to be here, Daham. Thanks for the invitation. Great. Well, thank you. Yeah, for joining us. Um, yeah, as you have introduced, uh, as an ecopreneur, that's what I'm doing since nine years. Ecopreneur. That's E C O. E C O, like ecology. Right. Empreneur, like entrepreneur. Ah. So, entrepreneur, like a very French, because Switzerland is a little bit French, a little bit German. Wait, wait, wait. Exactly. Come so. Okay. Entrepreneur. Nice. Uh, but I'm actually from the Swiss German-speaking part, from Lucerne. Lucerne ah. is in the center. Yes, the valley, Lucerne Valley. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's very uh, and good skiing country for skiing. And it's nice skiing areas, not so far from my hometown. And yeah. also lots of mountains and a lot of mountain biking roads. Um, and myself, I really didn't grow up in the city of Lucerne, which is quite a famous tourist place. It's actually the number one tourist place in Switzerland by frequency. Okay, because so that's have, how I've heard of it. That's why I've heard it. Yeah, yeah, we have popular. got this beautiful uh, bridge, this wooden bridge from the 14th century, which is still there. Uh, we wow. have the huge Mount of Pilatus next to it. We have the very nice lake of the four cantons next to it and an old town which also has got the name, the City of Lights. Wow. Especially during the Advents, uh, you know, the pre-Christmas season. So you pretty much grew up in paradise. I mean, how, how, uh, how, how could you... You know, uh, I really love the dry weather in Beijing because I love cycling. So rain is not my friend. And in Beijing, it's basically dry months of a year. So I really enjoy it here. In Switzerland, I would say it rains every second or third day. It's not so practical. But it's very so, much greener. It's so interesting because Beijing seems like the antithesis of, you know, the idyllic Swiss Alps. And, and, and you know, there is always, the way you need that it's always greener on the other side of the fence. Okay. It? <laughs> it's like the yin and yang. You're, you're kind of, you, you, maybe it helps uh, complete I mean, the circle. I, I, I just try to make the best out of what I have gotten and what I have worked for and what I've been looking for and working towards. And okay. I'm kind of living in both worlds. Okay. And most of the years spend time in China to work on these ecopreneurial projects. We're going to talk more about that. But I also spend considerable time of a year in Switzerland, in my hometown, but also in other areas. Okay. And my hometown is actually uh, really much in the countryside where I grew up. We have 40 neighbors in within a few kilometers. Okay. And the next bus stop is three kilometers away. The next bus stop. The next bus stop. Okay. And we have a lot wow. of bus stops in Switzerland, but we are really very far. There are basically only five farms where I'm coming from. Really? One belongs to my father. And we have been growing there like 25 milk cows and wheat and, and different kind of crops and also fruit orchards. And wow. also we have forests to heat our house. And that's how I grew up. And I also learned a profession as a farmer. In Switzerland, that's a very serious education. It takes okay. like three years. You work in two years on two different farms. And the third year, you go to school for the whole year. So I'm a Swiss certified farmer. That's how it all started. Amazing. So it's in your blood. Milk is in your blood. I mean, you're, you're, you're yeah, <laughs> you uh, need milk. I would right? say so. I milked many cows in my life and okay. also helped to process it into Emmental cheese, the one with the holes in. Wow. And okay. um, in our uh, farm, we have around actually 19 other farms together. We employ a cheese maker. 
and mm. he makes cheese which once even was the world master in the best Emmentaler cheese in the world. So it's really good cheese. Wow, but it's raw, it's raw milk cheese because raw milk cheese you're not cooking mm -hmm. so the, the cows uh, sorry the farmers have to produce a very high quality milk because okay. otherwise if you it don't cook work. it gets doesn't work yeah so the right. holes don't get round otherwise I see so that's where those Swiss cheese <laughs> holes come from. it's yeah, really you know, see, I thought it was just an invention it's like okay Let's put holes in it because it's Swiss and it sounds interesting. But no, 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 that's where the Swiss perfection. <laughs> the Swiss perfectionism come from. You know, everything needs to be clean and proper. Okay. So that's why we are good in banking too. You know. Yeah, Keep and chocolate. Clean. You know, and the chocolate. But that's another thing. That's on the other side of the Alps, that's, right? That's it's, another thing. Although I do have to add about the cheese. Um, I'm more. I mean, I'm already vegetarian since at least four years. And I'm becoming kind of a vegan too. Right. So well, well, you're you're vegetarian, but you're not lactose um, intolerant. Not at all. But for environmental reason, I prefer to choose to eat less and less dairy products and eggs okay. and animal products in general. That's, that's a vegan would be. That's that. called vegan. Yeah. yeah, you would not be having okay. because uh, animal products does have a very much higher ecological footprint. So more carbon footprint, more water usage, creating more pollution, ah. creating you know animal misery, and also sometimes the conditions for the, the people who take care of the animals are also not so good. I think the world is a better place if people eat less uh, meat and uh, but also less uh, animal products like dairy and also eggs. Okay, so I, I just have to quickly ask you, so how, you know, coming from that industry, you would think you'd be a proponent for all of these things. How did you end up looking at the opposite side of the coin and, you know, yeah. or, or is it because you were inside the system, you saw... I mean, I was inside the, the system and I worked on many different farms, including one year I worked on an animal trading farm. So twice a year, training or animal training? trading, trade, trading, buy right. sell. Okay. So like twice a week, we got up at three o'clock and were driving trucks from one farm to another to pick up the animals and bring them to the slaughterhouse. Oh wow! And that was quite a tough job. And I became really less eating meat afterwards. Yeah, I can see that. And in the right. meantime, I become even vegetarian. Okay. Because in Switzerland we do have quite comparatively good conditions, and you know there is a, there is regulations, and people care for it, and someone going to observe from time to time. It's quite good comparatively, but it's still a big misery. If yeah, you the bottom the line picture. is it's still the same result. I mean, yeah. it's not no matter how you try to uh, you know spin a good. Tale but I'm I'm not at all a, an enemy of the agriculture industry. I think it's a very vital part of the economy and of the society and of the culture. I mean, the name says it, agriculture. Right. I'm just over the years have learned in by studying, but also by observing that there are other ways of agriculture which can be more sustainable okay. than the conventional way where you have, you know, you put okay. chemical fertilizer, you're putting pesticide and you're hoping for as much uh, harvest as possible by also using breeds right. which are optimized for a high harvest in kilogram, but maybe not necessarily for a, a good ecology or for a good uh, product quality. So this is a bit of an issue with agriculture, and I'm actually becoming a proponent for organic agriculture, agroecology, permaculture, and all these more uh, sustainability-oriented forms of agriculture. Okay, but so that was actually, when I got into that, that was actually already after I moved my main work field from being a farmer to become an IT guy because I worked after IT. being IT. So after five years as a farmer, I worked 10 years in the IT industry selling enterprise data center solutions, mostly on the hardware level, you know, like server, storage systems, networking systems, high, availab high availability systems with virtualization. And not necessarily having to do with agriculture, you're just, you're just generic. I mean, IT. IT, that was just my hobby, you know, I, I grew already up with neighbors who had computers and I loved to play with those computers and take them apart and put them back together. Yeah. And I wanted to have, when I was like 20 years old, I wanted to have a little bit of a change because 
I did my military service as a bicycle cyclist. We have oh, that as a as a own force. And you're, you're carrying around an, uh, a gun uh, on the back. AK, not an AK, but a what type of rifle? Yeah, something. I can, Steyer, I can call Steyer, that. Steyer. No, no, no. We have a SIG SIG. Oh, yes, SIG. It's, okay, it's SIG Hour. SIG Sauer. SIG Sauer. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Why you know that? It's a nice weapon. Well, I have. <laughs> I see. That <laughs> I, 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 it's a nice I, weapon. Yeah. I, I was actually quite good at shooting, but I, I hate weapons, I have to say, because okay. I'm a pacifist. I just did the military service for purely opportunist reason. It was just a lot faster and a lot cheaper yeah. to do the service instead of doing you know, social service or something. And also, right. I actually wanted to do the service as a truck driver, but my eyesight was not What's sufficient. Like not drug, drug, <laughs> truck driver, not drug driver. Okay, truck, truck, <laughs> truck driver. And but my eyesight wasn't sufficient, so I was like, uh, "What shall I do?" And say like, oh, "You are really fast at running. Why don't you do cyclist?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, great idea. I do cyclist." And there, and I think the Swiss Army is the only military that has that opportunity just by chance. Yeah, they, not anymore, unfortunately. Oh, really? So you were the last yeah, because they, they had. They, they, they were not, after you, they outmoded it. it not bulletproof <laughs> enough, so we got outmoded in 2003. I could keep my bicycle, but... Uh, well, that's not really. I, I was, uh, I was, I was uh, you know, we have to do annual uh, service one every, every year for three mm. weeks, so I had to go from the bicycle into the back of the tank. Okay. And I felt that was very much of a downgrade. I didn't like it at right. all. So after a few years, I made my way to become the the CIO's assistant. So I was kind of a, back of a tank, IT uh, guy. No, no, no. Back of a tank I was still like, in the tank regiment. You know, the division was still oh, a tank the, division. The armor, uh, but, division. But I became kind of the, the IT guy. Oh, in the tank. You were the, you were the computer... No, no, uh, I was writing reports and, oh. you know, internet, website stuff. Well, and in a tank. Well, the yeah, tank's driving around. I was you're doing, I was you're on the internet surfing hopping. in that while the tank is uh, looking <laughs> for enemies. You're I was hopping onto the tank. So you're basically playing a, a video game for real. It was like <laughs> a real tank. <laughs> no. I mean, almost. But I had to, you know, all these heroic acts of my comrades. I had to <laughs> capture with the video camera and with photo camera oh, and okay. by writing and also doing interviews like you do me War now. games, you mean. Yeah, kind okay. of. You know, it's, it's like very small and we don't do worries anyone, but uh, it's okay. very safe, I would say. But it was good fun and I had quite interesting uh, comrades there. Okay. And they really kind of dragged me into the city of Zurich, where I sometimes already was there. Because Which city? Zurich. Zurich. It's like the, the, oh, right. Zurich. Okay. Like okay. The, the biggest city in Switzerland, right. also the economical uh, center or capital. Right. And I already knew Zurich well from going out to, I was a techno party guy, but yeah. then I, I went there more and more and they told me, my, my comrades in military, why don't you give it a try, live a bit in the city, you know, have a bit of change from the countryside because I was a little bit worn out from that yeah. animal trader sure. uh, experience. Oh, exactly. And I, I very easily found a job as a selling computer guy and then I did further education in engineering. And then after some some time, I could start working at the IBM IBM uh, Premium Business Partner okay. as a <clears throat> as a key account manager, working with rather large companies and giving them advice what kind of data center solutions they can need okay. to to meet their their needs to keep up the services. So you really your hobby became your profession. Then. Yeah, could, could and, say uh, so. Right, could say so. And that was, of course, a big change in my life, but the bigger change even came when I started to study part-time for four years. I did my business communication study, and there I had the chance to meet very inspiring people from all sorts over the field. Like one of my classmates, she was double my age, and she was kind of a priest, and another one was a radio moderator, and another one was, was a leftist politician. And really, it was a very colorful bunch. And it was very inspiring for me to have the exchange, but also to follow the class. We had like sociology, we had psychology, we had, we had um, really a very wide uh, range of, of topics. Yeah, um, 
you mentioned you were a priest at one point. Is that is that what? You said? <laughs> no, no, talking no, 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 no. That's uh, spinning it too far. Uh, well, so, I, don't, I mean, I, I, we haven't even heard your whole story yet, and it already sounds like Forrest Gump. Like wherever you go, I, I you, change, just, you turn into something else, and there's a new adventure. I was just right? hustling for some extra money, and I was offered to to pretend to be a priest at a, at a big marriage, and okay. uh, I was paid to do that, and I was wearing the wardrobe, and I was learning all the speech. And okay. it took 45 minutes and there were 300 people in front of me taking it super serious, including the, the bride and groom. And they were, you say taking it super seriously because, because they it was thought a, you were it was a real, real marriage, priest, right? They because they were well, told, they had, I'm a real priest. They thought, <laughs> you just didn't happen to tell them you were an actor. <laughs> I, I did not want to, to spoil the soup. Uh, okay. to sp Build right. Soup. So you really uh, invested yourself in the role. I mean, you probably should have gotten an Academy Award because you, <laughs> no, you no. became the role. It, it was it was just happened, and you know, it was good money, and it sounded like fun, and it was like they really want that, they wish that so much, and they really took it serious, like it was real. It's well, like, well, yeah, well I know you personally, and I think you probably did. I don't think you were looking at it as, as an actor. But you were you were looking at it as that you know you're investing your true emotion. And, I mean, you were know, doing the best. You could. If I'm already right? there and even yeah. get money for it, I want to do the best I can sure. and make them happy. And it was even fun for everyone. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I was going to ask you before we did this interview if you had been a priest previously and, <laughs> and you mentioned something about that, but now you <laughs> no, no, look really like not because I mean, I can I've, see why they chose you because I, you have that persona and the good vibe and you're. Uh, you know, you're just a positive person. Thank you, but I hope we got to yeah. cut that out. Yeah, well, no, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, um, so getting back to your journey, um, you were in Zurich and then you um, found a gold bar. No, okay, what happened? <laughs> so the gold bar, in a way, was I did that study which really opened my eyes, widened my horizon, and I had the chance to come to China in 2008. That was part of my study, uh, maybe my sixth semester for half a year. Oh, you studied Chinese, the language, before you... That I was supposed to study Chinese in China, but what I instead did, I did learn to play tennis. And okay, see, this, this story <laughs> just keeps getting... You know, Forrest Gump and, and the, and the uh, you know, table tennis, and you're playing no, 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 real tennis. Uh, it's like, Switzerland. This is a Forrest Gump story. Switzerland okay. is, is, is quite small, not so many tennis squares. Um, so technically, you could have applied to be one of their Olympic athletes, right? Because it's so small. <laughs> no, like, there's too much competition tennis. there. You oh, know, there is Roger Federer. Oh, he's and, Swiss. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and there is then Vaslinka, and there are some others. No, no, okay. no. Big Besides you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But I, I, I learned to play tennis here, but uh, moreover, I, I traveled a lot. Uh, I traveled At that all, time period, you, tra you yeah. see you travel a lot. You I traveled all around the country like backpacking. because I was, I was lazy ass. I, I, I felt like, why should I go to sit in the school? How boring and kind of hard it is just to sit there and to, to learn Chinese this, this way, this frontal education way. I don't like it. And I decided, okay, I'm just going to travel around because I had a bit of savings and I thought like, you know, just travel and learn it by on the way. When you say travel, you mean locally around Europe or? or no, travel in China. Of, I was, oh, I was, you, at this point you're already in I China. I was already in China. Okay. And I traveled basically all over the country uh, by, you know, public transport usually, sometimes hitchhiking, cycling, and I came around quite a bit and the plan was very simple, by traveling, making lots of friends and maybe find some kind of business idea, make business partners mm -hmm. and learn the language by doing. The way how I already learned English and the way how I learned French and I thought like smart me, I can learn Chinese this way too. But okay. I must say, and I'm now really going to, to, to spill the soup, that was the biggest mistake in my life. Okay. Because wow. now it's okay. 11 years later. And my Chinese is still hand chop Mama Very limited. Okay. Very limited. I, I can get along like two, three minutes, but that's it. Okay. And um, well, do you think it's because you um, have not really communicated much with Chinese? No, because I didn't before? make the effort in the beginning to get the basics right. And okay. I'm quite a communicative guy. I make easy friends who then are very happy to be part of something yeah. and come to meetings and come to events and help to translate. And I'm also good in nonverbal communication. 
And of course, there are written forms of communication with translation engines. So yeah. I always found a way around and I never went to class. The translation so all those years, got better and better. So get better too. <laughs> so in all those years, I never went to Chinese class. But I really think it's such a pity. If someone asks me, how long have you been in China? And I answer like eight years. I, I feel yeah. so ashamed. And yeah. I feel it's also, it's not just a bit improfessional. I also feel it's a... It's somehow it shows a bit the lack of of cultural interest, which is really not true in my Ironic, case. Yeah, I'm very are so interested nicely in embedded yeah. in culture here, but I really have this language issue. And the big pledge for me, the actually actually the only pledge I made for New Year's 2019 uh, resolution is to study Chinese hard this well, year. There you go. And yeah. almost every day, I really did a bit of self study. Yeah. Um, Maybe because early on you were so involved in the technical aspect that it just, it's, uh, you know, it's got its own language form, you know, yep. Linux and all these type of other coding languages. Yeah, different uh, wavelengths which you need to hit to get the message over from A to B in all those forms of music programming and, and language and so on. Right. Um, you need to have sender, receiver, and you need to have a certain code so it can get through. Sure. Back then I was looking for adventure, but that actually soon, uh, soon after that finished because uh, I kept traveling and got more serious into researching the Chinese agriculture and eventually okay. rent a car and together with my Chinese, uh, sorry, with my American business partner Greg Lapkov and also two translators, we drove 15,000 kilometers and did 45 interviews with farmers with, uh, uh, you know, vegetable traders, with uh, hmm. government officials. And this was this, over at what time period? I mean, like one month? That was in seven weeks driving. Wow, and that's, also quite, that's quite this, a road trip. <laughs> a road trip, yeah. We went to agriculture universities, we went to tractor factories. So the whole supply chain from beginning, from the field to, to the professor, to the consumer, we were doing interviews, qualitative interviews, to get to know Chinese agriculture. I really found a deep interest in agriculture again, and I realized there are some big problems, you know, environmental problems. Well, I think you'd already been, you'd grown up with it, just maybe you had it put, on, put it on hold for a while now, and now you opened up that chapter again. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I have this background in Switzerland, and indeed it's quite a different nature and agriculture. And of course, I wanted to learn about that, also because of my background, but also realized the big problems with, with pollution of soil, of water, of air, with uh, consumers who were facing uh, scandals a lot at that time. That's so right. There was this yeah, exploding watermelons sure. and the melanin milk scandal sure. and, and many other issues. And everyone was scared. And there was not, it was a really a desolate situation because there was not many alternative. Organic was very small back then. And yeah. I really wanted to find out more how, what's going on. And I also felt like there are so many farmers have a rather poor outlook, like having not so many options. How to. Was that, was that the consensus from your. Um, from, your our, from our research. From your research yeah. was that, uh, that dire sort of circumstances at that time. For the young farmers to come, yeah. yes. Okay, well, that's interesting. So that really compelled you to want to get more involved. Yes. And, uh, and so then you got. What happened after that? You got more involved in, you know, obviously I, online organizations. First, yeah. first I had to go back to Switzerland to finish my study, finish my military service, and uh, save up a bit more money. And uh, then I decided in 2010 that I'm going to move to China. So that was the big move for me. I moved to Shenzhen because I had a Chinese business partner already then. Who, who kind of promised me to host me for a year, what she did, and we mm. were building up uh, some venture together. And I kept researching sustainable agriculture, and I mentioned that for me it wasn't adventure anymore. Of course, there was a lot of adventures, but I already had formed by, actually in 2009, my mission that I want to come to China for 10 years to help the organic farming movement become more mature, grow mm. uh, qualitatively and quantitatively. Well, that's a, that's a huge, um, you know, topic. Um, agriculture it's, it's really important in China too. I mean, it's in the news every day. And uh, but what you were more involved in was with 
NGOs, not really. Yeah, more on the NGO side. We we were checking many parts of the market, whether we maybe should get into trade, uh, whether we should get into forming an NGO, whether we can do some kind of information platforms, for example, to make exchange uh, between research which is being done with practical agriculture and also foreign research. Uh, we did also a platform called greenbridge.org or lucia.cn. Uh, Is it still active? Uh, no, we defunct it because we didn't get funding together. Okay. But uh, we tried for like three years. And I Has think that evolved into something else that currently... No, it's, it's really, we, we, we shut it down, because I think it was a good idea, but we, we just got uh, other projects which took more of our attention, and then it fell asleep. Okay. Um, but anyway, so the adventure, that was really not the goal anymore. We really built up this, this mission to support the organic movement for more sustainability. Okay. And the, the plan was to come to China for 10 years, and in these 10 years, building up successful impact and building up references and then being sent by China, by Chinese NGO or Chinese government or Chinese company, being sent to Africa where they do food production mm -hmm. for China home market and being sent there to do permaculture projects. Was this something that you were thinking about or that, the, or that you've been in discussions with local... Uh, no, that was something that formed in my mind in 2009. And by the time I came to China for 10 years, in 2010, I already knew I want to be sent to Africa in 2021. Okay, so, and but I just seem so, I mean, you, you're coming from Switzerland, which is like totally, you know, it's another universe with China. I mean, I know a lot of Chinese tourists go to Switzerland, they enjoy it, it's a beautiful place, but what was the real thing that, you know, allowed you to become so involved in China in general? I mean, Besides just coming in, you, what, what, I mean, I, I have to, uh, have to tell another, uh, another uh, fact side about story. a side story. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so when I, when I started to study business communication, uh, I already had uh, very soon a dream, a vision for my, for my life, which was actually to start working at the Red Cross, the International Red Cross okay. as a war reporter. And that's a very special job, this International Red Cross War Reporter. It's absolutely unique. War, war Reporter. W-A-R. Yeah, W-A-R. Okay. There is no other war reporter doing this job like the Red Cross does it. Because what they do is, they're being sent to conflict regions where there is a war ongoing, and they are going to observe that. They are not influencing much at all, but they mm. always go to both sides of the of mm. the conflict. And they're allowed both to. Parties, they're, they're, they're allowed to be to take to do sides. these reportings very impartial way and okay. in an impartial way. And the thing is, this information it goes only to two places. So first, it goes to the bad guys, to both parties. Okay. They <laughs> report what they observe. So that actually the leaders of the parties know what their troops are doing or not doing or very badly doing because very mm -hmm. often they don't even know what's going on because war is chaos. Yeah. So one that's one one receiver. Another receiver is the um, the underground archive of the International Red Cross in Geneva, where, where it's being locked for seventy years. And after 70 years, it will be open so the historians can maybe rewrite the history to be more, more correct. And this is Geneva, and I'm here from Switzerland. That's yeah. Geneva, that's where the Geneva Convention was. Exactly. Born, right? Geneva then, is this uh, fourth biggest city or third biggest in Switzerland, where the United Nations has a European headquarter and many other uh, international organizations are being based. And so there is also this Red Cross stationed. And so, because the, this information which the war reporters collect on the field only goes to the archive and to the bad guys, and not goes to the media... When you say bad guys, you, you, you're, are you um, 
tasked with choosing who's the bad guy? Or do they <laughs> yeah, it's a good they question. Tell you it's, a, it's a good question. Of course, we call them conflict parties and we don't, you know, uh, we <laughs> give them neutral terms. I, I just to simplify things okay, a bit. I'm, I'm, uh, okay. And because otherwise it wouldn't be diplomatic enough. So it only goes to the conflict parties of, of, of course, of each color, not... We, we, we cannot give them secrets from the other party sure, right. and it goes to the archive. It doesn't go to media, it doesn't go to secret service and oh, nowhere else. There's an escrow. So for that reason, the conflict parties, knowing that it doesn't go to media or something, they will actually allow those war reporters from the International Red Cross to be on site and do all these observations. And hmm. in many conflict regions, the only ones being there, being allowed, are those and one could say yeah but what's the point if, if they see all these things and they cannot talk to the public about there's pointless i think there is something about it but it's not the whole truth and i think this is a very unique service which the mm -hmm. international red cross is doing also for you know the future uh, history writing because learning from the past is learning for the future yeah but i think if you're you're sharing information from, uh, about the condition of the opponent mm -hmm. it must in, in introduce some kind of element of empathy you know I mean there must be something you know if they're if they hear that you know uh, the 10 million that they know what they are doing what yeah they, they, are it must doing. affect them at least at least re, let them rethink their situation maybe their reflection really, absolutely yeah. I think this is something. very important and that's why I think this is uh, also a very uh, strenuous service to do this job you know to see all these terrible things and you cannot tell anyone except those two exceptions the archive and you know the leaders yeah. of the of the of the conflict parties and the other thing and i was going to say is i think it sounds like the most dangerous type role one could play because you could, could easily become a pawn it's also or a hostage or something yeah. you? i mean, I mean there are of course there are quite a few dangers and many war reporters lost their life and I just thought, like, I'm a young man from Switzerland. I have been blessed with a farm at home and with yeah. education and, and with a career in IT and with a study. And I felt like I want to do something with my life which has a, a, a real positive impact for humanity. And at that time, that what, what, what I thought is the best I can do is doing being this war reporter where very few people, I mean, until just shortly, there were only Swiss people allowed to do that with mm -hmm. a Swiss passport for neutrality reasons. Sure. Now there are not enough Swiss want to do it anymore, so mm. it gets open to other nations as well. So that was another reason why I felt like obliged. I have to do that also because I felt I probably have the mental stability, the the strong backbone to you know to to to. to, to well, I think you were do not uh, break in this pressure, in this yes, in this in this misery. Yeah, uh, having known you for the time I've known you, um, that, that I think that would be true in many ways. Um, you know, and also I think you have a kind of person, a calming sort of persona. <laughs> Go back to yeah, everyone again. falls asleep around. Yeah, me. no, well, no, I don't mean it like that, <laughs> but I mean just you know putting people at ease, you know, versus uh, making them stressful or you know want to go for their gun yeah, or something like. You kind of have a calming. Which I, persona, what I think a priest needs as well. So I think it could be, you know, you were destined to do that. Now you were, so you were actually doing this work, or you were just no, thinking about uh, it. I was thinking about it, but then and I, and I was I already start to get inscribed to learn Arab because I thought Arab uh, in many Arab countries there are conflicts sure. going on and will be going on, unfortunately. So I thought like that might be a good idea to learn Arab. But then uh, the China started, and yeah, I told you I went to China and and and, okay. uh, and developed all those entrepreneurial projects, which we now gonna talk about. And then the international Red Cross stream with learning Arab that completely disbanded for me because I felt like in China I can make actually a bigger impact. There are more people. Sure. There is also a lot of issues to solve. Right. And so it's a challenge that attracted you, obviously. Yeah, a challenge and uh, maximizing the, the positive impact I can do. Mm, and sure. it was for me soon clear that China is for me the right place to have that maximum positive impact. And also personally, I really like being in China. I made wonderful friendships here. 
I get the food is great, you know. <laughs> I like the food and I get along well with the people's mentality. Um, there is this kind of flow here, you know, on yeah. the streets, the way how people interact, how they do business, how they communicate, they try, and maybe that has these Taoist roots. Mm, sure. um, so people looking for the flow, not making too much fuss about too many details, that sometimes leads a bit too much to Chabudor. But uh, yeah, speaking of which, it reminds me of my good friend Lao Bai. <laughs> may or may not be listening to this at some point, but he's I think he's the personification of what you just described. He's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we all know, we, we, those who live in China, we all know, these uh, certain specifics of the Chinese culture, which we, which we most of the time love very much. And we can also adopt and learn to some degree, but not everything, of course. But I, I really felt home here quite quickly. And that also sometimes lets me blend a bit out also the difficulties that here are. Of course, not everything has only a golden side. There are also issues here like internet access and many other things and of well, that can be said about i guess any any other system there are always going to be some pro and con you know that you're not accustomed to or you know um, something you have to become accustomed to exactly but, out of your but comfort the, zone. i mean all over there is a big mission here to do and i meet wonderful people here who are already doing great projects or want well, to go. or want yeah. to support or want to learn more and I made wonderful friendships and I'm really blessed to to have this freedom to be here and to do these projects and to yeah. learn here too. And I really feel, in a way, I feel quite welcome here, despite occasional visa issues and so on. But that's another story. Yeah, the same here. I, <laughs> same with me. Um, I've made a lot of good friends here, um, uh, one of which is uh, um, Shu. Shu just had, you know, ah, yeah, the, of course. The founder of Newton mm -hmm. is a good friend of mine, and uh, we're going to talk a little more about that later. Um, and on, a, on another note, um, another friend, uh, Martin Bear, who's also Swiss, and I think you no, know, Austrian, you know, Austrian. I'm sorry, Chabudo. Excuse me. Yes, he's, he's, us, us, uh, you know. Uh, Americans, we, we tend to lump everything in. <laughs> yeah, Switzerland. You're, you're all people. You Switzerland know? and Austria. Right. So Indeed. he's Austrian. It's another similar. Alp. Another. <laughs> yeah. But Martin's also comes from, interestingly, a farming background, but yet he's in tech now. And uh, we may interview Martin in another show. But for, for now, um, tell us a little more about, another, you know, before we get too much uh, into, more into talking about blockchain, which is what we're mm -hmm. going to cover as well. Um, you had a little background in the fashion industry. I mean, not to really dwell on that too much, but I thought uh, that was I interesting. I mean, in the past eight years, I would say, I dedicated six years, most of the time and my efforts in the fashion industry because we started in 2010 many projects in the field of sustainable agriculture. And one of that was how can we promote organic certified GOTS, Global Organic Textile Standard Certified um, Fabrics in China? And my Swiss friend Amihan Sen, uh, who is uh, an artist with sociology background, she uh, started a fashion brand together with me. The idea was that she, she basically does it and I just help her to get contacts and get, get used to China and, okay. and give her a bit of a loan. But soon after I got found myself very much involved into this and I, I, I started to, to be uh, really making my daily life to, together with Amihan build up this fashion brand which is the name Nimic, N-E-E-M-I-C.com N-E-E-M-I-C. Yeah, nemic.com. And cool this name. became... Does it mean anything or does it have... It doesn't directly have a meaning, but the name is derived from the neem plant, N-E-E-M, uh -huh. which is a plant growing in southwest China and India. And it produces a nut. It's like a, like a bush or a small tree, if you want, which produces a nut, which you can and derive the, oil from. Oh, okay. And this oil is an eterical oil, which very nicely smells. And hmm. if you... If you like heat, a eucalyptus or something. Similar like eucalyptus. And if you heat it up, 
Um, it makes uh, creates like a, like a smell which mosquitoes don't like, so they leave. Oh, yeah. okay, that's where that comes from. That's yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's used by organic farmers for for that and also for other. Uh, there are other ways of application which is good for organic farming. So that's where the name came from. And meme.com was already taken. Okay. So we thought we make it anemic. Okay. I like that because it's anemic would be kind of like relate your your related some blood. Issue. Yeah, anemic doesn't sound that positive, but uh, <laughs> That's yeah. a little bit it's a very special name because uh, it was like really on, on Google there is no other anemic at all. But so in the fashion business, we were, I think something... With our name, we were at the top of Google from beginning <laughs> till now. Okay, yeah. it's got a nice sound to it. And so then uh, all, your, all your textile um, products that you so, use in your fashion... Yeah, we created five collections and we were selling in best fashion boutiques in Beijing, also some in Shanghai. We were in many magazines. And still we, are in a few magazines. Yes, right? yeah. sometimes still are. We were sharing our experience at uh, fashion universities. We organized smaller and bigger conferences about sustainability, sustainable fashion, sustainable education in fashion, and so on. So sustainable fashion really was the center of my life for almost uh, six years in how I spent my time working, building up networks, and also more and more my, my friendship circle became quite creative, I would say. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, myself, I'm not a designer, but uh, many of my friends are. You look like a designer. Uh, it's just, Not, uh, you, you, know, see, you can't see a side one, effect, looks like one. A side effect of my <laughs> ecosystem. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so then, so the design, uh, I'm sorry, the fashion industry in a way was um, tangential to um, what you were doing organically. Yeah, so the, the fashion industry, our efforts there for sustainable fabrics. That take, was, take, a, take a minute and just tell us what sustainability is, because you're using that word a lot, sustainability. Yeah, sustainability. I mean, there are, of course, definitions you can look up to. Uh, I would say that we sustain our ecology for future generations. Okay, maintaining, so We maintain it, and because we already did a lot of damage to it, we try to improve it if we can. And at least maintain it. Ideally, <laughs> improve least. it. Right. <laughs> okay. But of course, there are many other definitions. And if you look into it, uh, for me, there are two main fields of sustainability. One is the environmental aspect, so the ecology. Okay. And the other one is the social aspect. So okay. it's like the people, the livelihoods. And I livelihoods. Right? Livelihoods, okay. yeah. That they, make a, they make a living. And cultural aspects. And in our projects, we or I have been trying to uh, work towards those ecosystems of creativity and sustainability. So EOCAS, ecosystem of creativity and sustainability, where we bring together the agricultural aspects, you know, mm -hmm. like the food and the farming, together with the you know the beauty, the design, is okay. the creativity aspects, like 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 fashion. Like yes, I see what you're saying. So it was important that you explored closing. And, and understood both. Because those spheres. are two yeah. spheres, overlap how nicely spheres. put, which can overlap, which not often actually overlap. Do a lot, but they should overlap. Yeah. And right. with our projects, we try to make them overlap more. Okay. So. Well, because there was a period when, you know, everything was uh, acrylic and it still is to a degree, but I mean, that seemed to be what the fashion industry was pushing, acrylic products and synthetic uh, everything because, you know, it was uh, fitting better, looking better, but, they, but then everyone wasn't even thinking at all about why, why should you still use wool or some other it's, a, it's a very good cotton. point and it's a very sad point because nowadays in 2018 it's probably around 60% of the new fabrics being created made of yarn which is man-made. Is so, that right? So usually 60%. oil based, mineral oil based uh, uh, polyesters and acryl and so on. Essentially plastic. So essentially using plastic. Then, essentially or? plastic. And nowadays, only 40% is of, uh, of natural uh, heritage, like, like wool, like, um, like linen, like hemp, like, uh, like cotton, and cotton being actually the biggest part of the natural part, and cotton itself also has a bit of a twisted 
history regarding ecology because uh, very high water usage and there is a lot of pesticide being used. Okay. Also, there is GMO cotton. So, of course, there is nothing perfect, but the, the big advantage of the natural fibers is, of course, that it can biodegrade. Okay. So, it can go back into the natural cycle, it becomes basically soil again, and it doesn't have a long-term negative effect but we call it a footprint right it the ecological footprint. footprint exactly but with the man-made fabrics those i mean a lot of it going to end up in landfills it's going to be there for hundreds if not thousands of years and it's not just disappearing it's soaking into the waterways uh, so we are eventually going to drink these microplastic we particles. are already is that right we already do yeah everywhere yeah. It's nowadays there is no place on earth anymore where not microplastics have been polluting the water. So you can go wow. to Iceland in the glacier, and, and you still even can't there avoid. you find now microplastics. Kidding me? Yeah, so, everywhere. So it recycles back up into the you know it's atmosphere. It's, and it's then. going everywhere, circling around because everywhere wow. we have plastic. Look around where there is not. Somewhere. So we're not talking about future issues. We're talking about right now things that. Yeah, I mean, for decades, yeah. I mean, I would say post-Second World War, with the economical miracle, it was also a miracle of polluting our planet. I mean, okay. and coming back to agriculture, the Green Revolution started in the 50s and 60s, and that was a main driver of polluting waterways, polluting soil, and also polluting the health of, of the farmers, because they were... Which, which was? Can you repeat that again? You know, they... The, the green revolution. Green revolution. Which means like using chemical fertilizer. Okay, I thought that was a good thing. The green revolution, I thought, was the yeah, introducing I mean, then, green, wasn't it? Or back then it was, by I think the, the main scientist was Borlaug, who became very famous then by okay. coining this term. Oh, so you're saying the green revolution, revolution they, they, they created awareness. It was the United the Nations, of the politicians okay. who were carrying this green revolution to increase the harvest, to yes. have no more hungers and so on. And indeed, they did increase the harvests, but at what price? Because okay. ecosystems got destroyed and all these environmental problems and also social problems. And now we're having this misery of a zombified agriculture system worldwide. Is that when they were introducing hormones into vegetables and fruits and things? Yeah, that's part of that it. Part of that. Okay. I mean, whatever makes somehow more money at, at yeah. the bottom line is being done. Because sometimes the farmers don't know better because they lack education. Sometimes they know and just want to optimize the profits like the rest of the economy basically as well. Just with farmers, there are so many. It's even harder to control that. So it's very dangerous if you set free chemicals into our ecosystems, if you set free genetically modified GMO uh, seeds into the ecosystems, this is irreversible because this is really interrupting the system in a way and integrating in that system. It's very hard to get out and it's eventually affecting all of us because we have to drink, we have to drink water, we have to eat food. But it's very hard now to separate and to have clean food supply. And that's yeah, what like secondhand smoke. I mean, you know, there's a reason they don't let people smoke in certain cities now and they're working on it. But <laughs> yeah. how do you lobby? I mean, how do you do that when you have, um, you know, manufacturers that are profiting so well, uh, you know, pushing the other side of that? that, that you know, they don't want. I mean, there is an international dialogue needed and it's going on luckily for a long time. I mean, the uh, environmental movement start, has its roots in the 60s and 70s with the Club of Rome, with the setting up of Greenpeace in the 70s. That, get, right. that was right after the hippie movement, which had all, was sure. also about consciousness. And uh, it became a topic in many countries of the world. Back then, not in China, they had some other issues. Um, but Timothy Leary, you know, Timothy Leary, yeah, he was a man with knowledge of many substances, and um, so that's when the movement started. And then in the 80s, we had like the acid rains, we had like the dying of forests, we had like the ozone holes. How is that? Sure, that was a big thing back then. That was yeah, a the big ozone thing back holes, then. like there was. 
and then the, the holes are still there. We just don't talk about them anymore. Or they we talk about more, more, <laughs> more threatening things like the climate change, okay. with, uh, which is uh, which is warming the, 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 the waters, melting the the, um, the poles. Yeah. So you were telling me earlier that um, before we started the interview, the, the poles are essentially gone. There is no. Uh, yeah, in the south, luckily, is no, still there. His home is gone. It's still a bit ice layer, a thick ice layer in Greenland. But the North Pole is melted down quite a bit because it's not much land in the North Pole. It's basically right. sea. And there used to be a huge ice crust there, which in the past decades almost has melted away. That means nowadays, in the summertime, with the ship, you can go almost cross the North Pole. That was unthinkable Never could just 30 years Even ago. Even with an icebreaker ship before, you couldn't do that. But now no way, no okay. way. And now you can. That's that's very uh, devastating. Have you because been there? I mean, just I haven't been there, but I have friends who are scientists who do environmental protection of the Antarctic in the south and the Arctic in the north. So they're, and they're for, giving you this for Yeah, they, 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 they travel there, they do say research about you know the, the animals there, about the plants there, about how is the climate changing, and so telling me these things firsthand. I mean, of course, we know it from these environmental videos, from these documentations, from these films, right. from how dated these conferences. Are but like, yeah. if you hear all that from, from friends you trust and know how competent they are, it got even more scarier. Right. And, and, and when they're telling me of these tipping points where you have, like, changing um, pH degrees in the waters, you have warming waters, which is, uh, sorry, warming air temperatures, which is melting the soil and the methane comes up into the atmosphere. The methane helps to actually increase the, 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 the warming effect of the climate. And all these things placed together, it gets warmer at a pace which has never been in human, uh, sorry, in, in, uh, in, in Earth's history, okay. never happened before. So, um, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm not a scientist myself. You can Google this all up, climate change uh, and, and, and sustainability. Well, so, well, most average uh, people will say, well, you know, the Earth has been here billions of years. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what could, you know, be hap really happening like this year or the next year? Yeah, the, the Earth. all of that. The is Earth is going to survive us for sure. Um, but it's not sure what our own uh, future is going to be, and not just because of the climate change is raising seawaters. I mean, for, for Shanghai, maybe within our lifetimes, Shanghai is going to be flooded. There will be right. millions and millions of people have to be uh, moving inland, and the same in, 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 you know, in, in, in Indonesia and coastal regions. Tsunamis, are those a result of that somehow, indirectly, or? I mean, there are more tsunamis than there used to be, and bigger ones too. So one can draw a conclusion. So that's uh, also one of the threats. So there are a lot of problems to be expected. Well, I don't know. I mean, about you, but I've I've been feeling the winters in Beijing have been getting a little warmer. That, or I'm acclimating. <laughs> yeah, I don't know which very, it is. Uh, I mean, like this year, this year again, snow, right? sunny, comparatively warm winter. Feels good actually. Live here like You've got this. a T-shirt on right now. Right? <laughs> Um, but of course, this is a part of a bigger picture, which is uh, feels less good. And about our future, of course, there are these ecological changes, which is going to be a huge burden because there will uh, millions and millions of people will have to move to other lands. But the world is already quite densely populated, so there is going to be conflicts about resources like. Sure. Access to clean drinking water, uh, not just for drinking, but well, also for, film, uh, for agriculture. The, the film Waterworld. I mean, that, that, that means <laughs> less fiction and you know, and more or science. Than, there is another one by which actually in 2016 uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, co-produced. That's a very nice one. I forgot the name, but it really looks very much into climate change and the water okay. issue. And um, then there is. Uh, oh, that was a documentary. Right. Yeah, that's a documentary. Okay. So there is the food uh, issue where not just maybe it's going to be not enough food, because, but there is now a lot of people in the world who actually start to eat more meat because they finally can. And a lot. Of what do you mean by that? 
like there are regions in the world, like in Africa and say so, so now because of economical change they can afford meat and say adopting this lifestyle of eating a lot more meat than say your parents did. The same happened in China twenty years ago, sure, the same happened right. in Europe in the in That's the 60s. True. And the same happening for billions of people right now. So they are adopting a lifestyle, I mean fair enough that they can do that too, which we in the West have for long enough and fucked up our environment. That's yeah. happening now in other parts of the world. So the ecological footprint of humanity is actually getting worse, and the climate is getting worse. How is that? How is it making things worse if they can they can have more meat? What's because if you produce meat, like cows, pigs, uh, yeah, horses, not so much, not everywhere, uh, lamb and goats, animal husbandry has a, a very high environmental because you need to a lot of water. Okay, uh, it's, it's a process to yeah, maintain and produce. Then they okay. need the actual. They need a lot more food input than what we gain as food output from say meat. So there is like it's like really a it's a bad factor I would say for you know for cow. It's like you give them ten pieces of energy and you get out one piece of energy in form of meat. Okay, when you say this is a the conversion rate is, is really is really bad. So in in the cryptocurrency world when you're talking about proof of work and mining uh, mm -hmm. Bitcoin and things of that nature, um, would you say it's a similar kind of burden? I mean, you know, when you're talking about how much energy uh -huh, you yeah. consumed. Um, I do hope that uh, there will be a change of this uh, proof of work because that's, I mean, that works in a small scale as it did maybe from 2008 until 2014. But then with the exponential growth of, of Bitcoin and other coins, that's really crazy, this energy waste. And that's, where is this going to lead? And I really do hope that there is... For example, the Ethereum framework is looking into ways how they can change from a uh, from a proof of work to a proof of stake. I think that's right, proof of stake. Well, yeah. that's that's what Newton the Newton project's all about mm -hmm. is uh, you know, proof of stake and building um, you know a community based economy. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Tell us what, what what's your understanding of that, or what uh, how. What, how do you feel that's, I mean, because obviously you're involved with Newton now. I mean, I'm, it's my projects. I'm involved with empowerment of communities. So rural empowerment, farmer societies, we try to give them tools to be more efficient, okay. to save uh, inputs, to have a better distribution, to improve the supply chain. Uh, for example, we saw a project URB, uh, sorry, your bridge, uh, urbanruralbridge.com. Uh, we are based in Shanghai. We are 12 ecopreneurs like me together. Some of them are like permaculture teachers. Some of them have uh, platforms to distribute ecological news. Some of them are farmers. Um, some of them are, are, are teachers for uh, sustainable lifestyle. And so we are 12 of us. So we're setting up this Your Bridge, which is going to empower farmers with education. So we are establishing a farmer institute uh, where the farmers are being taught these uh, ways of running the farms in a permaculture way. Okay. And also we are building up uh, a system which we called URB App which is a kind of a, a small ERP system for farmers, which helps them to grow, like to plan, to manage their farming, how to reproduce, and how to connect it to e-commerce platforms so they can do e-commerce. And this is something we will actually have to talk about with mm -hmm. Newton, whether we can actually blockify our platform. Yeah, well, the thing about... Um, see, blockchain is so new. I mean, it's new to a lot of people, and they, they believe it's complicated. On the surface, but what we're, what we're what the Newton project is doing is working to simplify it in many ways so that it's more accessible. Mm -hmm. And you know, with, with with apps like NewPay, for example, you know, how do you buy and shop things? Mm -hmm. You know, normally that didn't exist before. That kind of user interface where you could access the blockchain. Mm -hmm. You know, when Satoshi Nakamoto invented mm -hmm. the um, block or introduced the blockchain, you know, at that stage 
you know, it was very um, coder friendly, you know, for people that understood that, that realm. But now, yeah, and it was it was monetary transactions mostly. But then right. Ethereum with the smart contracts and so on. Right. And, and now, now uh, I think that with um, with Newton, it's really another level of of integration. And I think it's supposed yeah, so to become an end-to-end integration, and that makes it very interesting. Yeah, well, I think for, for an agricultural um, integration, um, it, you know, the way you can understand where your supply source is and where it's, you know, being... I mean, we um, really want to use, make use of it to make a, a security, a farm-to-table supply exactly, chain security. Right, there you go, right. And so I think uh, in our next episode we'll, we'll we'll talk to you again about that after you've had a chance to uh, discuss this further <laughs> further with the CEO of Newton because uh, things are happening so quickly we just got back from Macau and uh, he was in a um, clean energy forum where they discussed uh, many aspects of mm-hmm. agricultural integration for blockchain mm-hmm. so he's debriefing us um, as we speak mm-hmm. about how that is going to point to work mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot of interesting exciting applications for that so in in that process of the blockchain so if people can use it as simply as they do sms and obviously it'll solve a lot of those problems i think because obviously your supply chain will be very transparent mm-hmm. that's really the goal i think introducing uh blockchain into agriculture you know to avoid mishaps like you talked about before and what really inspired you to want to get involved in, mm-hmm. in the system here um uh so Besides agriculture, what else do you do in general in China I mean, at, at present? Um, I mean, not that you would have time because agriculture is so <laughs> you know, all-encompassing. <laughs> the thing is, I had this fashion. Co- I still have this fashion company, and we did have we did make really good positive impact for education of young fashion designers by giving them an example how. Uh, Okay. Conscious fashion brand can look like using organic fabrics. Mm. Not necessarily has to look ugly and boring, but actually kind of exciting. And so we set a really good example there, I think, and we got a lot of positive feedback for that and still get. Um, but financially, it was really a bit of a black hole because we used the best uh, materials we could get the most sustainable we could get, we worked with the best artisans to make the best possible quality, and it ended up in a in a in a designer closing a market segment which mm. is close to luxury in price. So yeah. it's not really affordable for so you miss really the target audience, right? It's so like, it was like, what I'm actually doing here? I want to help the farmers, but most of the time I spend on <laughs> catwalks and magazine interviews. It's like you'd, you'd be driving a Rolls Royce uh, <laughs> up to a farmer and saying, "Hey, pop in." You know, not not as you, We just we were <laughs> catering to to an audience which was not at all close to what we actually want to reach. So sure. I really. Try Ethically to, and economically, I mean. I try to change my emphasis more close to agriculture again. That's why we then also come up with the urban rural bridge and also other projects. And also I like the idea that I don't have to run a fashion company anymore producing products because okay. there are already so many products and closings in the world. Why should we add more to that? Well, you know, I mean, I think there's something to be said about anything new, and it's interesting. <laughs> you know, we call it the, the, the coin, the token, uh, utility token that we, we have introduced through Newton is called the new, for example. And new I, is part, it seems to be part of our, um, you know, our makeup as, as humans, you know, that we, we need new, something new to, to evolve into and to um, keep us excited. And there, there's something you said about that. So I think, and I asked you this earlier, I think, you know, because you, you did, the fashion thing was an experiment. It didn't necessarily fail. It just sort of became something that you weren't it as was interested inspi- in when it you started. It was inspiring a lot of right. other people, young fashion was doing, It wasn't doing what, you know, consumers. Right. It wasn't doing what you would envision you had originally planned it to do, and so you sort of like put it on. on it board was a it was a beautiful side project which became a main project 
for quite a while, but Which now... Which wasn't your intention. You wanted it to sort of be a side project. Yeah, no? yeah I, that's true. And now I have all of it together again okay. by supporting uh, the FOSS movement, uh, the F-O-S-S, free and open source sure. software. Uh, which is uh, working towards sustainability in a way of uh, information society, improving information society, right. including uh, yeah, improving decentralizing, decentralizing data so people have more control over their own information. Empowerment yeah. of, of those people by giving them tools sure. and also by collaboratively as global citizens developing better solutions for everyone. So that aspect plus the, if you want the lifestyle segment with, with fashion, the clothing, that's one I'm still active in. I also do consulting in that for, for fashion brands, help okay. them to become more sustainable um, or help sustainable brands to get a better marketing in China. That's actually my main income. And then there is the agriculture aspect. That's why I came to China. That's why now we do the urban rural bridge. That's why we are now talking together about what Newton can do. Sure. Or well, we're both here. Yeah. In, uh, in the, to to improve the agricultural supply chains. So these three fields, like the the clothing, the the food, and also the information society. Uh, if you want information hygiene to. So these three things together, this is still this ecosystem of creativity and sustainability I've been looking for and I'm happy for all the experiences I could make and all the friends and, and partnerships we could build up. And yeah, I'm looking forward to our next talk yeah. where we're going to look more closely into the actual solutions, how um, Newton project with the, uh, yeah, the Newton project. Not to be confused, there are a couple other Newton projects out there. Um, and when you look on the net, and, and, the, and the thing about the internet is that it's uh, you know very amalgamated and, and sometimes will lead you in the wrong direction. But the, the, the way to know that we're the 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 Newton project, <laughs> the only Newton project, is look for a symbol. It's an oval, and it's got two um, calculus. Got two calculus symbols look like musical notes. So if you look for that symbol, it's unmistakable. That's us. If you don't see that symbol, it's not us. That's our logo. And that, that I'll talk more about the logo in our next episode. But uh, um, for now, yeah, it's been an excellent talk. Thank you very much. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed at the amount of information you have to share each time. You know, I mean, I thought you were just going to talk about how it was being a priest or how, <laughs> Luckily or how it was skiing in the Alps. But you got to you know, cut that out, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> um, so, so thank you for, uh, for all our listeners out there for, uh, Hey, hanging out. If you're, if you're just listening to this on the subway, well then, Hey, you probably, you know, um, had something to listen to versus just some music. And that's um, hopefully what we provided today. Um, some insight. And if you have any questions or comments, um, let us know. I'm not sure where we're going to be posting this right now. It could be in a number of podcast venues. So wherever you see the comment opportunity, do that. And, uh, um, yeah, we're, so this has been sponsored by the Newton Project. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next. We'll see you on the next episode. This, has been, this is Dahan. And again, my guest, uh, Hans Gallagher. Gallagher, Gallagher, yes. Yeah. Could you leave us with some uh, uh, Swiss kind of uh, phrase that that, uh, sums up your uh, philosophy or something? Maybe in another language, you know, because we've been speaking English this whole time. Or how about, do you know any Chinese? Because you said, what do you know in Chinese that you could could say? I mean, I really like the Yuan Fen, like the flow, uh, the Chinese flow, which has also a bit of destiny in it in a very positive way okay so this is something i really i really like and in swiss german i don't have that much to say i just because uh, you're chinese now right you become chinese and <laughs> <laughs> um, i wish you viel glück i wish you good luck in all you're doing and i wish you have a nice evening wünsche ihnen einen schönen abend und auf wiedersehen have a nice evening and see you another time Thank you very much. Vielen Dank. Tschüss.